Welcome to the Like, Bite, and Share podcast, brought to you by Schweiden Sons. Learn the secrets of food and hospitality marketing from some of the best professionals in the food business. Here are your co-hosts, Rev Ciancio from Schweiden Sons and Brad Garoon from BurgerWeekly.com. Brad! Reverend! What's going on, buddy? How are you? I'm really hungry. I'm going to this big dinner tonight, so I've only eaten olives and a couple of potato chips today and a lot of water. This, this actually wasn't by design. This has just sort of happened. This happens to me all the time where sometimes I just don't eat. My, the day gets away from me. And apparently this happens to men more than it happens to women where we just forget to feed ourselves because we are helpless, the helpless gender. Where did you, have you read this somewhere? No, this is just my, so I'm dating, right? So I, I'll like go out and I'll meet a girl and she'll say what she had for lunch. I'm like, oh man, I'm starving. I haven't eaten anything. And they all say like, this is, a, I would never do that. This is strictly a guy thing. No, I think guys forget to eat. I think that's a Brad Garoon thing because I would never do that. I understand what, that you wouldn't do it, but I know other people who are as irresponsible as I am who would do it, but only men. But you're <laughs> a special case, man. You're like a, you're a real specimen. Because today, right? I assumed I, I had a meeting in the city. We were going to go take some burgers, mm-hmm. and so all I had for breakfast was a smoothie, and then I had some hummus in the middle of the day, and went to my meeting in the city, and we did not eat a burger. We didn't eat anything. Oh, no, really? Why? That's just not how the meeting went. And so then on the way home from my meetings, guess what I did? Got a burger? I got a burger. (laughs) Where'd you go? Uh, There's a place in Fort Lee, New Jersey called Hiram's Roadstand. Um, I don't have the full history on it. I just know uh, about it. So here in New Jersey, there's sort of like this old school war between the hot dog guys, um, the windmill, Rutt's Hut, Hot Grill, um, Callahan's. It's like an old Jersey thing. And Hiram's is one of them. Uh, and Hiram's is one of those places that people swear is the best hot dog they've ever eaten. They're deep fried like a ripper and yada, yada. And uh, ever since I moved here, I was like, I got to go. I got to go. And today I realized that the route out of the city would take me sort of by it. So I went and got a burger and a chili dog and cheese fries. It's pretty interesting to me that the things that people food-wise get hot about in New Jersey are the same things people get hot about in Michigan. It is the same. And I think we could definitely go down a conversational path about who invented the slider. Uh, Jersey or Michigan. Yeah, but not like the hot dog thing too, the chili dog thing. They're not They're not the same though. We should point out that a Coney dog in Detroit and a Ripper in New Jersey are not even closely related. Sure, but to a layman, like to someone from Texas, they're, they're going to be like, why do you love hot dogs? Why do you love yeah. hot dogs? Why is there wars over? Like what's the Lafayette American thing is not sound so different than the Hiram's whatever other thing you said thing. Yeah, but they have Texas wieners down there. Well, I'd rather have a salted Chicago dog. I knew you were going to say that. I don't like all the rabbit food on it. Whatever, man. Have you, have you eaten any good burgers lately? Have you eaten any good burgers lately? Yeah, I did. I, um, I, a couple days ago, I went to Eli's Night Shift. It's Eli Zabar's new burger joint. Um, I went with one of the burger babes. Uh, they are wonderful. They are wonderful. We had a nice time. And we talked to Oliver Zabar, the son of the eponymous Eli Zabar. And... Um, he has a lot of uptown spots, but he's trying. He was trying for something a little bit more cool, more interesting, more youthful this time around. So it's a uh, it's a craft beer bar and burger bar, and that's right up my alley. And it was good. I like those things. Where is it located? It's on 79th and Third, I want to say. And if it's not there, it's very close to there. And if 
Uh, I have a question for you. This We'll keep it brief. So I didn't get bacon, and for the first time in a while, I, I regretted not getting bacon on my cheeseburger. I've, I've been foregoing it recently because I just was feeling like it wasn't adding a lot to the burgers I was eating it on. And in this, with this burger, I, I, and after hearing Oliver talk about what the kind of bacon they use, I really felt like I had screwed up. How often do you get bacon on your burgers? You know what? I don't – it's an interesting question. I don't often leave the house going, I want a bacon cheeseburger. Uh, I know I will walk in and look at a menu and be like, yes, this is the burger that I want bacon on. Or if it's like the recommended burger, like, oh, when you get there, you have to get the blah, 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 bacon, then I'll go that route. But I generally don't. I'm not like, today's the day I have bacon on a burger. Yeah, I'm the same way. And there are a few places that I'll always have. Like if I go to Peter Luger, I'm not, first of all, I'm not going to go to Peter Luger unless I want bacon. That's the reason I go there. So I'm going to put bacon on my burger. I'm not, if I'm going to go to Atwood, I'm going to put bacon on the burger. If I go to Queen's Comfort, they do this candied uh, chicken fried bacon. I'm getting that. But in general, I just don't feel like it's just like a little bit more salt and crunch. And sometimes it's just a waste of $2. I, I agree with you. By the way, 79th and 3rd, you know what happened only a few blocks from there? No. Uh, the very first meeting you and I ever had about this podcast. Where were we? We were at Bondurance. Oh, yeah. That was a night. Pimento Burger. <laughs> 85th and 2nd. God bless. One of the only Pimento Burgers left in the city. Amen. Well, well speaking of, of burgers and, and bacon and unique toppings, I think we're having a good time today with our guest, Frank Scabelli from, uh, from FS Food Group. He's also the guy behind Bad Daddy's Burgers Bar. And if you've never been, Brad, they have some crazy bacon on their burgers and some crazy burgers. All right, well, let's talk to Frank and then maybe I'll go. Frank Scabelli is with us. He has a restaurant empire that started in 1992 when he opened a traditional Italian restaurant in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina called Mama Ricotta's. Uh, since then, he's gone on to open Perfect Plate Catering, Midwood Smokehouse, Paco's Tacos, and Tequila. Uh, he is also the founder of Bad Daddy's Burger Bar. It's a, a really great gourmet burger spot with 16 locations in uh, North Carolina, South Carolina, Colorado, Tennessee. And uh, earlier this year, he sold to Good Time Restaurants for $21 million. Frank, welcome to the show. How does a small franchise owner know when it's time to sell? Well, I think the biggest thing is, one, is having an awareness of what the, the markets are like for selling. Um, I mean, that's the, that really is the big thing. We were fortunate with what had gone on with Shake Shack and what had gone on with Habit Burger and uh, that the restaurant market was really a hot market, and we felt it was a great time to sell. And then, you know, coincidentally, we were really coming off of a, a fantastic year all the way around. All of our stores had performed really well, and the stores that we'd opened had started out really well. And so... We just felt honestly like the stars are aligned. It was a perfect, perfect time for us to do it. You, you know, was that a process that like you initiated? You went out and said, "Hey, people, I'm trying to sell my franchise." Or how does that work for, for someone like you? Well, first of all, we're we're not a, other really other than we had one one franchisee. For the most part, we were company owned, and then we had a couple a license a licensee arrangement with the guys in Colorado. But we for for us it was. Um, we actually had gotten a phone call. I mean, and I would get phone calls time to time for people who want to buy your business, and, and that's just something people are looking for. Everyone's looking for really the next Chipotle. So it's become more and more common that people are calling you and they're soliciting, you know, hey, is it something that you're interested in doing? And so we had, we had started a conversation with Good Times a while back and had sold them actually part of our franchise business with the hopes that we were going to grow the franchise business. And then... Um, so really that dialogue started several years ago, and then we had a three-year period where we were sort of joined at the hip. Um, you know, if we were going to sell, we wanted, they wanted to have a first right refusal, and just basically the more we 
we discussed that it was a good fit and it was it fit their strategies very well and it and, and it was a good good deal for us as well. So how how soon into the life of Bad Daddies were you into uh, a situation with good times? Uh, we opened in 07, and so I think it was in 12 we first started chatting, somewhere in 12. We'd been open for a little bit, and we'd had a, a pretty good amount of success at that point, and then we just were continuing to plug along do our thing. I would imagine that to get a group like Good Time involved, a lot of it has to do with really strong branding. Where did you come up with the branding idea behind Bad Daddies? I have an, my Italian restaurant, Mama Arcadas, was we would drive from the Italian restaurant and we would drive to my Mexican restaurant and there was a location available. And jokingly, my staff used to call me Big Daddy and uh, learned a lot about intellectual property. We changed it from Big Daddy to Bad Daddies. But it's a, um, it was really something that I wanted a fun, a fun restaurant. I've got sons. We wanted a place that was great cheeseburgers that, you know, kids are going to want, parents are going to want. And then love the salad component you know we have chopped salads at all my other restaurants so figured why the hell not make a make a create your own chopped salad then we wanted to do milkshakes we said okay let's get the best best milkshake guy in the ice cream guy in the country and we found him and and he he came in and did work with us and and came up with this amazing soft serve recipe so it was really just a situation of uh, of it evolving and you know part of it I'm, I'm a, a you know a 70s kid and a lot of the imagery in the store has to do with the 70s. So, you know, and a lot of it's really very popular in culture, a lot of comic books, a lot of sports. And so there's things that ended up just becoming really, really sort of iconic images that were fun, and it all came together. Now, did you bring in some level of, like, consultant or some, you know, some mathematician guy to tell you, uh, this looks good, that looks good, put that on the no. wall, don't serve this, no. or was this all, all gut frank reaction? I, I didn't. It was, it was really... Us coming up, we have a really, and we have a really talented team. We have a great team from a culinary standpoint, um, and it was really a situation of of us, you know, working through it. But no, I mean, I I, I looked around. I mean, I'm, a, you know, I've got other restaurants. I we had a sense for what people were going to like, and and uh, and the more we grew and we developed an idea, and we had, you know, like we did some really interesting burgers. The, we had a banh mi burger, which was sort of not pe people, now you see it, but you really weren't seeing a banh mi burger. We did just some interesting stuff, and then partnering with a very good meat company, getting great product, and we really didn't use a consultant. I mean, I have, I have an MBA um, from Wake Forest and, and did consulting when I first got out of grad school for a couple of years, but in, in, it's really more our team. So when do you decide to, say, put you know, buttermilk fried bacon or pepperoncini or, or other, you know, un, unconventional things on your burgers? You know, we try it. It's like, I think, you know, you you have, um, you try it, you see how the guests like it, you see, what, first, I mean, whether we like it, whether we internally like it as a team, you see if it's something that you can re repeat consistently. Um, but the, the buttermilk fried bacon was, that was a no-brainer. I mean, with the minute you tried it, you're like, oh my God, that's going on the menu. That's just crazy. The pepperoncinis were one that we were like, okay, let's try the pepperoncinis, let's try. And then, and then the other thing that happened is we ended up aligning, got to be good friends with the Boar's Head guys. And so they would send us great cheeses to work with. And that was something we went that route and, um, you know, got some really good product to work with with that. So it, it was really more just trial and error, things that would sell. And some of it would be, you know, I read a lot about food, like we're doing this Middle Eastern restaurant. So two years ago I was saying, okay, let's do a chicken shawarma burger. And we're making, we're doing labna and, and, and you know, doing a chicken, chicken shawarma spice burger. And, you know, part of it was just sort of things that we wanted to do that were fun. You know, often in interviews you're talking about your partners, your chefs, your servers, other employees. 
you know, it's clear that you're a team-oriented guy and, and, and you're very reliant on your team. How do you keep a restaurant team motivated and focused? You know, I think we get a lot of buy-in from what we do with our core team. I mean, I think they've had a lot of, you know, anybody, if you've played sports, you've been on a winning team, it's a great uh, adrenaline high. And so we, we have been fortunate enough where, you know, we're best, we were Zagat's top 1,000 Italian restaurants at Ma Mercada's. We've had, you know, top 50 tacos in the U.S. with Paco Sacos and Tequila. We have a lot of success with what we do in all of our categories. We, I just feel like, you know, they want to see it happen. I mean, you get guys who, you know, I think Rev, I think you met Paul at Burger Bash. I mean, that guy just fits the mold. He's a super talented chef from a culinary standpoint, but he's super creative as well. And then, you know, what most guys don't, you know, you have a lot of guys who are creative, but he's a guy that can make it work on the line every day and make sure that they're making it the same way every day. So um, I, I think it's really the success builds more success. So you mentioned a minute ago, uh, you know, you have, with the labna and the chicken shawarma, you've got Yafo Mediterranean Street Food opening up. It's a pretty, yes. pretty big jump. I guess maybe not, but you tell me. It seems like a pretty big jump away from a big burger chain. Uh, what's what's going on there? What's how did that start? Oh, but I'm a, I'm an Italian American kid whose first first restaurant was an Italian American restaurant, and then really more like a New York style pasta house is really what you know old school Italian. Um, and then went into regional Mexican, Cantina 1511, where we worked with, like, Patricia Quintana and some Susanna Trilling and some great name people. Who are, um, we worked with um, the guy who's in, he's in New York right now from, um, from Mexico City. I'm, I'm, his name escapes me right now. But we really, we, so we went to regional Mexican, then we, went to, then we went to Bad Daddies, then we went to Barbecue, then we went to, so it's really not as big a stretch as you would think. We, we tend to you know, do a lot of different concepts. The reason we wanted to get into the Middle Eastern is we think it's a cuisine that's, it's great food, and it's not that well done in a lot of places. Like, it's very well done in New York, in New York, New Jersey, very well done in Chicago, very well done in D.C., very well done in L.A., a lot of opportunity for growth, and we're seeing places elsewhere that are doing it. We're going to be making our own lafa bread, which is like a thinner pita, uh, from scratch, rotisserie, rotisserie spice shawarma um, chicken. I mean, rotisserie chicken with shawarma spicing. So it's not as big a stretch. It's really more I look at it as a consumer. What food do I really like? What food do I think is really lacking in the market? And then can we execute it? Do you think you're afforded the ability to, to do that sort of creativity in, in menu design because of your location? You know, like you said, not being in D.C. or New York or any of these major markets? You know, I think I think that's a really good point. I've, I've I've thought about that. I think it'd be a lot harder to do what I do in other markets. However, from what I understand from my friends who are chefs in New York, I actually think you get better culinary talent from a, not from the chefs. I think we get great chefs, but I think you get a lot of good line cooks in New York and a lot of really really you know if you're a if you're a really good line cook and you you want to make it happen, a lot of guys are going to New York, and so I think. You know, would my talent be better, and could we be able to execute better things? You get better ingredients in New York than you get in Charlotte. So I think, um, you know, it's probably six and one half dozen the other. But yeah, I think it doesn't hurt me that we're in Charlotte. But fortunately, we've been when we've gone to other markets, we've been very we were very successful in Denver. Do you find that that people in in a market like Charlotte are willing to travel further for food, or are they still sort of like neighborhood local oriented? Oh, I, I would agree. I would think it's the latter. I think it's really people are. I subscribe to that, you know, 
in, well, I mean, not in New York as much, but in other markets, a three-mile radius, people eat 90-something percent of their meals in a three-mile radius where they live and work. You know, I, I absolutely would think a lot of it's that. Do we get people to come try us? Yes, we get people to come try us, but, you know, that's more infrequent. Uh, your your core customer is is your neighborhood, which is what we, and we, we've always subscribed to that. How many, and this, this will be anecdotal, but I'm curious, how many people have come into a Bad Daddy's because they first ate it at the airport? You know, uh, gosh, I don't. You know, I think I actually think it's it's a little bit the other way around. It's such a huge. It obviously we do extremely well there, and people see it, and it's a lot of exposure for the brand. But I don't know that a lot of people necessarily understand that we were, you know, more than what what was in the airport. Um, I, I sort of think you know we would do thousands of people a week per store. And so really that was, a, to me, that was a bigger number and that was really more where our, where our focus was. But it absolutely helped. That, that, um, that store in the airport, I, th I think the number that we looked at was 5 million people a year walk by it. So clearly it's a lot of great brand exposure. I'll, I'll tell you what, I'm getting to a point in my own life where if I have to have a layover somewhere, I will choose a layover where there's food I want to eat and there have been several times going from New York to Cleveland, which you would think there are direct flights, and there are not, where I would, I would choose to go to Charlotte instead of, say, Philly, because I know I can get a Bad Daddy's burger. Oh, that's that's great. That's awesome to hear. Thanks. We um, I, I did that. We did that going somewhere. We went to uh, Rick Bayless as Frontera Tortoise, and we we were, you know, like very – I was like, I would probably come through Chicago to eat one of these sandwiches. Well, speaking of airports, I'm just curious, not that you need to go to these places to be an expert in these foods, but I'm just, I'm just out of curiosity. Have you ever been to Tel Aviv and had Mediterranean food there? No, actually, we're going to go um, next year. The um, Shai, who is our chef, has basically invited us to come. He lives um, not far from Tel Aviv, and it's, he's in, he lives in Galilee, mm -hmm. and he, he wants us to come, and I, I actually am really looking forward to it. So, no, I have not. We met when we were in New York training with Enoch. We met a, a number of folks from um, Israel. Actually, we were bringing in spices from Israel, um, and it was really it was something. I mean, it was. I, I really look forward to going. Yeah, if you can, you have to get to the markets in Jerusalem. And if I can recommend, just if you have like a day to get up to Haifa, that place is just insane for like a vacation day. I've heard it is so hot from a culinary standpoint that the food that they're doing, the stuff that they're doing, is great. So I was actually reading up uh, a bit of your bio today, and a couple of things struck me that I, I actually, this is sort of a horrible segue, but we'll, we'll do it anyway. Uh, <laughs> you served on the National Dairy Board and the National Pork Boards? Yes. So why, as a restaurateur, did you do that? I have to tell you, those were really incredible experiences. I, they, um, so first of all, like, I didn't really know anything about it, that much about it. I'm a huge, you know, we're in North Carolina, great pork. We were doing, I was doing, you know, Cantina was big, pork is... Pork is really sort of the ultimate meat in, in Mexican cooking. And so that was the, the pork board deal. And I have to tell you, it was what an amazing experience. I got to be friends with, like, Selena, Selena Tio is, was on that board at the same time. She's great. Met a lot of um, Kevin Rathbun from Atlanta. Just met some really great folks on the pork board. And then the dairy board, same deal. Uh, and it was really, to me, it was just great exposure to to be on, that, be on those boards and then um, – Learn, learn quite a bit. Frank, when I hear you, you talk about the, the pork board and the people you've met, the chefs you know and the partnerships you had, and the food you eat and the travel you do and all these things, 
you come across like a, a, a foodie type, an Anthony Bourdain type, you know, somebody who truly, truly enjoys people and cuisine, would it ever make sense to put out a, a Frank biography? Well, I don't know. You know, the, the thought that I've had is really, I think, I think I'm more unique in a, from a, a foodie restaurant standpoint, but then I have a very strong, you know, I don't, I think there, if you did some sort of little cross-section, I doubt that there's that, that many restaurateurs who've done what I've done who have an MBA. And so I think there's a business, and, and I think people, like, we get asked a lot to mentor, you know, I get asked a lot to mentor people, I think, talking about culture, talking about things that really change the game. And I guess really going back to your question, if I had to sum up, I probably didn't sum it up as well. I think we have a great culture. And, and um, you know, I think talking about that in a book would be something that would be interesting. And, I, it, it, you know, at some point I probably will do it. Yeah, I get, I get a sense when I talk to you that, you know, look, some people cook because it's a job. Some people cook because they're passionate about food or showing it off to people. But to me, uh, you know, I love your places. The food is all wonderful and the teams are great, but there's like a cerebral nature to it that you can tell the person behind these brands and these restaurants has really thought it through and is really thinking about it from the customer experience standpoint, not just the, hey, I want to make money. I mean, I guess that was just a compliment. But you know, I have to, Well, thank you. But the hospitality, like if you don't really feel that hospitality and growing up, you know, you grew up in an Italian family and it's like you had friends over your house. It's like that's what you, that's what you did. And if you don't do that in our business, honestly, you shouldn't be in our business. But, but I appreciate the compliment. So let's keep that going for a second. Speak ambition. So Bad Daddies, it grew and it grew, and then uh, just recently sold. So you've got, you've got other projects, other d different cuisines. Is there a plan to grow those into multiple location situations that you can sell into franchises later? Or are those oh, more... I'm really not as big. i got to tell you, the franchise business was not something that I was ex as excited about once once getting into it. I really like company-owned stores. But to answer your question, yeah, first the first thing I grew and sold was we had a Cantina 1511, which was regional Mexican, and I sold it to a, a company out of South Africa um, called Quantum Restaurants that own Melg and Bean. They own about 115 restaurants worldwide. They wanted a Mexican concept, and we sold uh, Cantina to them uh, about four year, four or five years ago. And then Bad Daddy was his next. And then Midwood Smokehouse is something. Rev, did you come to Midwood when you were in town? I have not. It's one I've not been to yet. Yeah. So we we had a, we've had a lot of. We've been lucky. We were some some. We were named on one thing top five briskets out of Texas. We really are a Texas oriented barbecue. We use prime brisket. Um, and I think that's got a lot of opportunity to grow, and it's and it's sort of unique. I actually looked at a, looked at some locations in New York because I think there would be a lot of shtick with a, a North Carolina company coming and opening a barbecue place in New York. And so um, looked at New York a little bit, but I think Midwood is the next thing. I think Yafo has opportunity. Um, Mamas, I may do a second location, but that's not something I would necessarily grow and sell. I probably sell it to my employees. Pacos, tacos, and tequila. That may be something we could grow, um, but yeah, you know, you have to have an exit strategy. You have to have an understanding of, you know, you don't want to be doing this for, uh, you know, 50 years. And then what happens is, I think when you start getting to be 20, 30, 50 stores, I think it's hard to keep its character. I don't think I'm that talented to be able to keep its character at 50 stores. Well, I think that just goes back to the having the right people, the right team, relying on them to be a part of the concept and all. 
Yeah, but there's guys who are really, I think, better at it. I know, like, I like Sam Fox restaurants in, in Phoenix. I think they do a great job, and his stores have a great feel to them, and he's got a lot of stores. I, I, I don't think, I think I'm, we're better at growing, you know, like, creating a really cool concept, having great food, replicating it, growing it to a certain size, and selling it. Frank, how, how important is it that you stand out from a menu perspective? I, I've noticed that with each of your concepts, there's always something unique. Like, you know, you blew me away with the Italian beef pizza at Mama Ricotta. So if, oh, you like that? Like, that, that to me still, I talk about that all the time. I mean, you took, like, a simple sandwich and a simple pizza, and you put it in one, and it was mesmerizing. But I, I noticed on your menus, you sort of have a little bit of that everywhere. Can you talk a little bit to how that works and, and why you do it? Yeah, but interestingly enough, Rev, honestly, I think the focus is in the blocking and tackling more than you would realize. Because I think it's a, you know, one of my one of my favorite restaurants, always growing up years ago, was Il Molino's in New York. And Il Molino's, looking at their menu, is a very simple menu, but they just out-execute everybody. You know, at the time when they would, they win Zagat's Best Italian for like 20 years in a row, and their menu is not a complicated menu. And particularly at the time, it was not a really complicated menu. So we want to make sure we do a great job of executing our fundamentals. And then we're continuing to try to work on dishes where we're coming up with stuff that's creative and interesting. And, uh, you know, I think that I really am very proud of that badass burger. Um, that was really a pretty good burger. I really love the burger we did at Burger Bash with the, with the uh, Gruyere and the caramelized onions, and that was a really good one. So I think we focus on having some things that are sexy, but as much as anything, we try to focus on the fundamentals. Do you, I mean, we, we've heard this from some other people, and I've sort of noticed it myself, but let's, I'm going to ask this a two-parter. So first one, at Bad Daddy's, what's the number one selling burger on the menu? At the time I sold it, it was a bacon, actually, the number one selling burger was Create Your Own. Oh, really? So people just wanted to put on whatever they people wanted to do, and that was part of the beauty of the concept, is that people would, I mean, and you would get some crazy stuff on burgers. You would get broccoli on a burger. You would get, you know, uh, chickpeas on a burger, stuff that you wouldn't even think would go on a burger. Oh, we can't tell Dan passionate about that. Uh, I, I've i found that like right so me or or Brad or even you you know we're into food we're into you know things that I call our eye licking good and, and I see something like the uh, Italian beef pizza and I'm like oh my god I gotta have it. Yeah. Me being excited about that and being outspoken about it, I'm gonna eat from the 20% of the menu that helps you draw in the people who or from the 80% of the right. menu or that, that's important in the menu making. I think it's extremely important. You got to have some stuff that's sexy. You know, I think I think um, you're right. It's just it's just that stuff. I think you have to keep plugging away at and finding things that you like and that execute well and that you can be consistent of or a really interesting ingredient. You know, that stuff. The, those those twenty percent items. They're just a lot of work and and it's a grind to figure it out. And then when you figure it out, it's a great feeling. I'm gonna start sending you my uh, my random food creation ideas then. I would love, I, honestly, I would love to get it. Maybe, maybe that's something we could start on the website, Brad, have people submit their crazy food ideas and we send them out to the uh, chefs and restaurateurs we speak with on the show. Yeah, that sounds great. Midwood, which is kind of fun, we've been doing like, so some of the stuff you grew up in the 70s, so we've been doing like pulled chicken tetrazzini with smoked chicken. Like stuff that's kind of like, how do you take some American comfort food and put little like a barbecue spin on it? And it's been really good. Yo, Frank, I won't lie, and and I've, I ate at this place in Canton, Ohio called Smoke the Burger Joint, and okay. I, I ate a burger there that changed my opinion about how food is cooked, and I've not seen anybody do it since, so I'm going to give this one to you, and you should take it. I ate a smoked burger, and your first time you say that to somebody who wants anything about smoking food, they're like, 
why would you put a burger in for like 8, 10, 12 hours? And you're right, but they didn't. So they were smoking the patty for about 12 minutes at a low temperature. Okay. And they knew, they know, these really smart guys, they know what time of day they're going to sell what amount of burgers. Right. So what would happen is you'd walk up to the counter and you order it. They'd pull it out of the smoker. They'd sear it really quick on both sides on a flat top and then stick it on a bun with a number of crazy items. And it changed my opinion about hamburgers. I mean, it truly changed my opinion about hamburgers. You know, and that, honestly, that says a lot coming from you. You have a very informed palate. Uh, I need to try that. I need to check that out. We're gonna like I, candidly, I, we get off the call. I'm calling our pitmaster. Okay, need to try that. Did they basically oh, decide yeah. doing a smash burger style burger with pulled pork and um, and cheddar. That's very very good. But like yours sounds very good. Brad, we need to go to North Carolina and visit Frank. Are you driving? <laughs> I could drive. Well, I'm in. I think it's like 70 today, so, you know, it's also not a bad place to be. It's sadly, it's, and creepily, it's almost 70 here today as well. Is it really? Yeah, it's, things have not been great here. And I have already had a burger today, but that's okay. Well, speaking, speaking of burgers, uh, Frank, we wrap the show the same way every time and ask the same three questions of our guests, so you're, you're not going to be any different this one. What was, your, what was your favorite burger from childhood? So you and I talked about this. I don't know if you recall, but far and away, without question, what inspired me a lot with the burger business is the White Hut. And I'm from Springfield, Mass. And in West Springfield, right by the Big E, there's a, an iconic burger place called the White Hut. And cheeseburgers with fried onions. And we would go in high school, and the place is, is unbelievable. I almost don't even want to go there again because I don't want to have it spoil the memory. But it was they were that good. Of all the guests we've had on the show, you're the only one that I knew what the answer would be in advance. <laughs> and yeah. and Brad, Brad, you have to go there too. Uh, Brad is on a current uh, mini burgers are not sliders kick, and it is a proper old school slider joint. It's not current, man. It's ongoing. It's never going to stop. People just keep getting it wrong. So but, where, um, that's interesting. I'd love to know what your what have you seen that's kind of cool. What have I seen that's cool in terms of sliders? Yes. It's all well. This is the thing that I love about sliders is like no one's really doing anything cool. Everyone's doing it the traditional way, or not. Well, sadly, not everyone's doing the traditional way. But the people who are doing it the traditional way are doing it right, and it's consistent. And that's what I like about a slider is I know what I'm gonna be getting. Right. But I totally understand your hesitation to go back to a place that had such good childhood memories. It's happened to me a lot in my hometown of uh, Metro Detroit, where I go back to places, and it just doesn't doesn't measure up. But where have you had a good burger recently? I have to tell you that burger we just we just did it at um, at Midwood where we did a we did a, a third pound of, of the Schweid our our um, blend our custom blend with chuck and brisket and um, with pulled pork and, and cheddar we use this local Ash County Farms cheddar just very simple and an aioli, garlic aioli and it was really off the hook and we don't sell a lot of them people don't come to a barbecue place to eat a burger but that was really really good. Brad, we need to get down there and help out the 20% of Frank's menu. Come on. Yeah, fine. I'm good. I'm in. <laughs> Frank, what's the one piece of advice you'd give to someone in the food marketing business? I think they need to be, you can't stop talking to your customers and talking to your wait staff who talk to your customers or your frontline people. If you're fast casual, it's your frontline people. Because I think you've got to listen to, getting back to that hospitality thing, you've got to listen to what people have to say. Like we just had... We took creamed corn off the menu because guess what? Corn's out of season, and we took creamed corn off the menu. We had 30 people mad at us because we took creamed corn. We, we responded to every single one of them because it's like we do really want to know what people are thinking. Could we put creamed corn on a burger? 
You probably could do cream corn on a burger. Might be a little sloppy, but it wouldn't be bad. I don't think I would eat cream corn on a burger. I'm down. I would try it. I would definitely try it. Well, you know, you do like a Mexican street street style corn, creamed corn. Oh, like a lotes? Yes. I'm back in. I'm back in. With like a little chorizo. Brad, we got to go to North Carolina. All right, we'll go to North Carolina, but first, Frank, why don't you tell people where they can learn about your various restaurants? Well, uh, we have Midwood Smokehouse, um, midwoodsmokehouse.com. Talked about Midwood Smokehouse. Uh, Pacos Tacos and Tequila.com, Tex-Mex, that, mamarcadasrestaurant.com. Um, Yafo is not, does not have a website yet. That's something that will be up and running. But really, if you're, if you're coming to Charlotte, you know, if you know anybody in Charlotte, they're going to be talking about our restaurants, hopefully. Awesome. Great. Well, Frank, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, it's Thank great. you very much. Nice talking to you. Always a pleasure, Frank. Always. You guys take care. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of Like, Bite, and Share. We hope you found today's interview insightful. If you didn't get a chance to write down everything, no worries. We take the show notes for you. Go to schweidandsons.com slash podcast to find them. If you enjoy the show, we ask for one favor, and that's please give us a rating in iTunes. That helps us to spread the word to others who might find this valuable like you do. If you haven't subscribed to the show yet, please subscribe on your favorite podcast player so you don't miss a future episode featuring helpful tips from other professionals in the food marketing business. Stay hungry.